So this morning, they were running a 5K, or a, what looked to be like a 5K slash, what, half marathon or something, that included part of this Creekside Trail I usually take my, my little hikes through, and they, they had aid stations along the mile markers. So I decided to partake in the one at, like, mile 11, and then consequently just clothesline the remaining cups of water and Gatorade so that everyone behind me could suffer, Right? Seems fair. Like I just gave that thing a ride, you know. Like it was a little one of those folding tables, you know. And the guy, the guy, you know, you, the the volunteers are so nice and kind, and you know, they had um, the cups set up and everything as the people ran by, and. Uh, well, I just clotheslined the fuck out of that thing. I just, I cleared that table. You know, like when you get pissed off in Monopoly, you know, and you just chuck the board with all the pieces. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. That'd be horrible. But I heard about, I heard people have done that. I've heard, like, that's kind of like this new thing or fairly new thing. Can you believe that? Can you imagine just the the sheer balls you got to, like, you know, be running in a pack and you get to the aid station or you get a cup of water from someone standing just before the aid station and then you, you grab the water, you refresh yourself and then as you go by the little folding table with everything else, you just knock that shit over so that everyone behind you is like, what the... I heard of... Um, Oh gosh, what was her name? I think it was Amy Dietz. I talked about this last year. Um, is that her name? She was a swimmer, Olympic swimmer from like Stanford or something. And uh, but on an international level, like Olympic level, like because she was she was an Olympian, like a very very talented Olympian. She would uh, as they lined up on those little angled little whatever they are, the starting blocks before they dive in the pool, she would spit in her competitor's lanes. Like, that's fucked up, man. I think she's got, like, cerebral, cerebral palsy now or something, though. But anyway, you know, life comes at you fast. But moving on, have you ever... Like, since it's... Since it's, since it's um, December, like, I'm obviously listening to Christmas music, a lot of Christmas music. Like, I'm listening to, like, Christmas classics on Spotify. A little Christmas jazz, you know. So the Yule, have a Yule that's cool. But the, ones, the one song that gets me every year is that, that uh, Santa Baby song. Santa Baby. And not the one by Madonna. That one's, like, gross. That's, like, sounds like somebody's pinching her nose as they're, you know... Just well, it's a nasty one. It's a nasty version, but but the Eartha Kitt one, who uh, also played, um, I think she was, did she played the Cat Girl in uh, Batman and the original Batman and Robin, the original TV show back in the fifties. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, Santa baby, something that I really do want a yacht. And that's really not a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, I just want a yacht. 
And then, uh, Santa baby, something that I really do need. The deed to a platinum mine. Like, what? Like, you just, now you want a platinum mine? Like, why platinum? And why, like, where, how does Santa have, the, like, all this cachet with him, right? Or what's the other one? Um, oh, <laughs> Santa baby, let me have another, or put in, uh, put in my stocking, something about putting a, in my stocking, a duplex, and checks, <laughs> a duplex, like, you went from, okay, so you own, so Santa's gonna just come up with a, a, a platinum mine, because he has one, then he's gonna get you a duplex that he's putting in your stocking, and checks, not just one, but plural, like, multiple checks like why couldn't you just consolidate it on a one check and why is santa writing checks why does he have the money and how does he finance all this stuff like he's making toys up in his workshop but where is he how's he is he like does he do like a gofundme or something or what you know how does he finance all these ventures right and and what kind of gold digging fucking bitch is just saying give me checks I want checks, and I want a platinum mine. I want a duplex. I want a duplex. Like, why a duplex? You know? So, I don't know. This gold digging bitch is just too much. Like, and it's kind of like, it kind of, it's kind of borderline kind of salacious. It's like, come and trim my Christmas tree. With a bunch of shit from Tiffany. Like, like that first that first part of that sentence, you're like, come and trim my Christmas tree. Like, now she's getting suggestive. Now she's getting a little dirty, a little nasty. Like, she's a freak. Like, you can tell she's a freak, you know? But the freaky ones do more stuff, you know? But, um... Come and trim my Christmas tree with a bunch of shit from Tiffany. From Tiffany's, like... Like, what? How does it... I don't... Crazy. Crazy stuff. Like, to be perfectly frank, there's a lot of stuff this year that doesn't make sense, right? And, um... So... Part of it is, like, um... Like, what... Like, where is everybody? First, first of all, where is everybody? Okay. That's not that confusing, but it's like a lot of these other songs are like about, you know, coming home. Please come home. Like this, like the Darlene Love song, Christmas. Christmas, the snow on the ground. Christmas, I'm watching it fall. Christmas, na, 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 na. Christmas, baby, please come home. So what happened there? Like some kind of domestic situation or... Are they on their way home? You know? And then, like, the Eagles. Because um, there was some good... There's some good... Like... Rock and roll Christmas songs, right? Not their traditional stuff. Like, there was a whole... It seems like there's a whole cottage in industry built around some old fuddy-duds that made good Christmas songs. Like Perry Como, Ray Conniff... And um, Burl Ives, like Burl Ives, like what the, this guy probably made a career off of just singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Burl Ives, just a, a fat, bald guy with, 
you know, a goatee. And, um, but the, the, the band though, that put together something is something is pretty cool. Like, you know, like Tom Petty had a good, like, it's Christmas time again. Da 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 That's a good one. Um, what's the other one? Uh, oh, the well, the Eagles. Um, Bells will be ringing. Oh, what a Christmas time to have the blue. My baby's gone and have no one. And then he says, please come home for Christmas. Like everybody just bounced, right? Everybody just escaped or, or whatever. Like I don't, and I don't think they mean in the conventional way, like, like that trip home from college, right? You know, where you you pack up in your buddy's car and you, you drive like four or five hours and it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of cool, kind of interesting, but um, but I don't think that's what those songs meant, right? Like they did something, like they fucked up somewhere, you know? Or maybe they just got a real, like a real material girl bitch on the other end just waiting. Just come home because I need that fucking Tiffany's stuff. I need that duplex. I need that platinum mine. A platinum mine. <laughs> like, what? like, what the? <laughs> um, well, so anyway, um, a shout out to uh, Thursday. Well, first of all, so... I I uh I released my Thursday episode early early morning prior to the Rams Raiders game. What a game that was last week. Jesus Christ. But what blew my mind about it is that it it all unfolded the same exact way that the um Saints Bucks, Saints Buccaneers did they Raiders were up 16-3 Baker Mayfield just pulled off waivers from uh the Pan- the Panthers the Carolina Panthers comes in with like one day of practice uh probably got a chance to practice one 2 minute drill and then it, when they were down 16 to 3 pulls off the same heroics um with a, a a run up the middle by Cam Akers to make it 16-10. Then they come down. They hold Raiders to a three and out and march back downfield with like 16 seconds left. Like this is all within five minutes again. 16-10. And with 16 seconds left, Baker Mayfield throws a strike to Van Jefferson 23 yards unscathed. Fucking unfucking believable. They go on went to win 17-16. Just like the Monday night. It was like Monday night happened and then Thursday night football happened. And it was like they, they all had the same script. Like, is that word to believe? Is this, is this scripted? Is this, is this what's going on? Is this all fake? Is this like Santa? Oh, wait. Wait. Scratch that last one. Reverse it. But anyway. But 
so 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 Thursday I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm heading downtown and the, the weather's kind of gloomy. I like it though. I like the I like the uh, the gloominess of of a day in December before it gets like before all the trees are off because we had some pretty gnarly weather uh, Saturday, but uh, but like that gray darkness that looming darkness that that permeating darkness like in polar express where it's always dark it's just constantly dark or or scrooged it's always dark it's always dark in those movies right or or you know just you'll notice like there's some holiday stuff that it just remains completely in the dark dreary it's just dreary there's leaves but 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 i'm driving downtown so thursday i'm driving downtown i um with all the stenciled restaurant names spray painted and a shabby chic effort to look kind of vintage and distressed, even though the place just opened, uh, which by the way, shout out to uh, Localis. They, they just got a Michelin star. It's the second restaurant in Sacramento that has a Michelin star. There's only two and they both have one star. The first one is the kitchen. I think that's off of Howe Avenue somewhere. And then this one Localis on, um, 21st Street. I drove right by it on the way to, um, I went into, uh, a used bookstore. I was just kind of killing some time and, and, uh, so, but it was nice. It was like, again, the leaves are on the ground. It's an overcast day. It's a good day to spend kind of in a bookstore, maybe have a cup of coffee. And, uh, so, you know, there's a certain comfort in the dreariness of, of these, of these days now, right? They're going to, they're going to wear on you at some point, but, but, um, I don't know. It seems like it's good to have just a nice little stretch of dreariness, a good little stretch of dreariness. Right. And, uh, I don't know why, but just, I mean, why do we look for, we look forward to like Halloween. We look forward to like the fall. We look forward to, why do we look forward to leaves falling? Like we're so, you know, like, or like when we get this rain, like the, the creeks swell up and I just, it gets me all pumped and I, I have to race down there. I have to see what like, like the, like, like this morning when I was down there with the, watching the runners and stuff like that along the trails there, um, the, the creek was just full, man. It was just like, I don't know. I'm into those nature goes apeshit type moments. You know, I was watching a bunch of like, I fucking like Saturday was just for me, it was un, un, untenable, untenable, you know, un, um, it was one of those days where like, you didn't have to get out of bed. Luckily you didn't have to get out of bed. And so I, I was just kind of, uh, I guess I was kind of binging a lot of television. I don't, I don't usually do that. So I thought this was, this was a new, again, a new ordeal for me. And usually I come out of these kind of stretches a little foggy, a little slow, a little, you know, moving slow, but man, I was, I was ready. I was trained. I was prepared you know, I'd been eating good, been sleeping good, been, uh, I took a few days off from, from, 
my daily hikes from the weather. I helped my mom um, buy out her lease. That was mm, that was that was cool. It was, it was I helped her out with a little bit of the negotiations. That, um, but uh, but just kind of been loping along this this week, and so I've been like I say, I've been kind of binging on a lot of movies, and Saturday be, being as dreary as it was and kind of enjoying the dreariness and decided to kind of kind of implement a, a dreary theme to the um, to the uh, my viewing efforts right and so I was watching um, again like a lot of mm, black and white movies a lot of mm, kind of like uh, borderline German existential type dreariness, you know, kind of weird. But like, uh, like I watched, uh, like one particular thing I watched was the, this documentary called the Sunshine Hotel, which is in, um, in New York in the Bowery. The Bowery was like, back in the day, the Bowery was like, uh, like when I grew up, when I was, when I was like a little guy, like when I was six, my grandparents would watch this show called the Bowery Boys, the Bowery. And it was like these kind of, uh, these, this, it was kind of like a, a a a 1940s version of like gangs but they were just like they still wore like pleated pants you know with a crease and a belt and they were seemingly kind of respectful really but but they were the bowery they were, the bowery was like um the bowery used to be to new york what like uh it was kind of like kind of like a destination spot like a high end destination spot but they, but then when they, they brought in the L train, they raised up the train track so that it was above the, the roof line there. And um, so it became kind of, it started to become kind of a little seedy, a little, like, there was like a little bit of a criminal element there. So like all the money kind of bounced out of there, all the chic, kind of shabby chic, like the, like I say, like the stenciled vintage uh, distressed, the deliberately distressed buildings that were trying to look, you know, shabby, chic, vintage, and stylish, uh, all eventually just became shabby and gross. And, um, so the Bowery became kind of like a, well, it was like the, it was like the, where like the flop houses started to, to culminate, right? And, um, so, and what's a flop? Well, a flop house, a flop house is very interesting. This is what this movie is about. This, this documentary, the sunshine hotel was kind of the rise of flop houses. And these flop houses, are like these tenement, there's like these small compartmentalized, like subdivided, like if it, it, it like an old, like it used to be an old roomy hotel, but then they kind of subdivided each of the rooms and turned like one room into like two or three rooms so that you can kind of house the marginalized, the people that were like the dregs of humanity, the ones that fell off the wagon, the ones that were just lifelong drunks or, you know, drug addicts or problematic or mentally unstable, mentally ill. But the rooms in this particular hotel didn't have ceilings. They had chicken wire because they were all subdivided. So they took the ceiling off and they ran chicken wire all along it. And then a little shitty little cot in there and then maybe a nightstand. So there's like rats and roaches and 
oh God, and just, you know, just soiled linens and people, soiled people and just people having episodes, people sorting themselves, you know, working their way through a, you know, a binge or a, you know, a drinking escapade or, or, you know, some, or junkies, you know, like William, William S. Burrow types, you know, that were just in, into this kind of scene, this deg, this weird kind of self-professed, professed uh, d- degradation. It was like deliberate, you know, this is like, this, this is something that they sought out and William S. Burroughs and those guys as, you know, the, the, the beat generation, the junkies, the street kids, the hustlers, they all kind of gravitated towards this. They want, it was kind of like they almost, it was almost kind of fetishizing it. Kind of like, like William T. Volman. Like I was, so when I was downtown, I was at the bookstore and I was looking and nothing was really grabbing me, but there was a, uh, one of his uh, original earlier books is called Whores for Gloria is when he lived in the Tenderloin of San Francisco. Same deal. It was kind of like a, a shitty area full of junkies and bums and prostitutes and alcoholics and, you know, the dregs, just the dregs. But he, he lived down there deliberately. He wanted to, like, I don't know, see kind of what made these people tick. And it's interesting. And they all have a story, you know. It all comes from some kind of trauma or some kind of upbringing like this. Like there's this one guy in... um and again, this is like what Charles Bukowski writes about. This kind of like fetish, fetishizing of like Skid Row, the bums, you know, the Bowery, the flop houses, the drunks, people drinking out of a, you know, a paper bag, a bottle, of, you know, in a paper bag and just these weird, weird, weird situations. Um, and, you know, like I said, yeah, William T. Volman you know, would write about this in Horse for Glory, about the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Charles Bukowski would write about it in his books, you know, short stories about on, you know, like on drinking, which I keep checking. <laughs> it's been uh, since March. I keep checking it out. A book that I lost that, well, I didn't lose, but somebody that I know lost. And uh, I keep checking it out. I'm going to ch- this book. I will continually check out online until I die. Uh, but again, yeah, like stuff like uh, the Tom Waits sings about, you know, these kind of grifters and drifters. It's fascinating stuff. But uh, yeah, so the Sunshine Hotel was, that's what all this is all about. Um, just these, just margin, marginalized people, you know, like this one particular guy, he, they just sit in the lot in this lobby. They call, it's a lobby, but it's like barely a lot. It's like a, there's a wood bench. And like the 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 uh, registrar or clerk or whatever you want to call him, the main guy who kind of manages the place is behind like a it looks to be like a chain link fence protection protected barrier, and then in the cold floor kind of tiled floor of the lobby, there's a wood bench, and then there's a guy that sits there. He's a he just drinks beer all day. He's the, the beer drinkers. And he's he's what they call a runner. So if anybody in the hotel, see, there's a lot of people that just get, like I say, they get sequestered and they just hide away. They go there to be to hide. Like they go there to be kind of out of out of the system, you know, out of the out of the loop. And so they so they to that extent, they don't want to um, they don't even want to go outside. You know, so they get, so they need, but they need, if they need stuff, like whatever it is, like more beer 
or just food of some sort or a coffee or cigarettes. They got the, they get a runner, and it's this this dude, this little pot-bellied dude, with some busted-out chiclets sitting in the lobby, talking to the the guy that's filming the documentary about how you know he walks faster than some people run, you know, and it's like a there's a flow, and you go out there and you got to deal with the flow. And then you get your money, you get, you know, what they want. You go to the bodega, you get a a pack of smokes in the hard box, you get a cup of coffee and you, you hightail it back. Right. And then you wait for the next job. And that's how he, that's, that's, I don't know what this guy used to do. He he was articulate enough, but he was in his own world. Like he was, uh, he was, he was communicating with, you know, the aliens and so, so forth, but he was still, you know, reliable runner for these 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 people that are just fucking whack they're just like they've lost they got they you know they fell down and they stayed down you know i saw stuff like this in vegas when i lived there briefly for a couple months and uh it's really trash it's it's weird it's it's strange you know but it's also morbidly fascinating because how do you get yourself in that but i think it starts with a trauma there's a trauma right and you either come out of it or you don't. And if you don't, that's where you, you get you get kind of pushed to the creases, right? But if you live with the trauma, then it kind of manifests itself in a different way. And that's where the other movies came in that I watched. Um, one of them... One of my... Seem- okay, so... <laughs> so one of my... I... Uh, <laughs> this is slowly growing to be one of my favorites. Um... Of course, Scrooge is one of my favorites. Uh, I'm fascinated by Polar Express just because it's so bizarre. Um, but I think one of the great one of the great ones is Four Christmases with uh, Vince Vaughn and uh, <laughs> and what's her name Reese Witherspoon. Vince Vaughn, he has the he's just the guy. He's the guy that has the, he says the right thing at the right time. He's, he's classic. He's in like, he's in one of those Caesars commercials with the Manning brothers and their dad, Archie Manning and uh, JB Smoove who plays, uh, I guess a black Caesar, you know, and, <laughs> and then Vince Vaughn. And, uh, and there's like, and the last one, the last installment is like JB Smoove. And he's got little Caesars bouncing around his head. Like, like, like he got, hit on the head or something, you know, and there's like little gold Caesars like tweeting around his head and Vince Vaughn's just like, he's like, okay, all right, well, that's, what did he say? He was so, he goes, uh, well, that was out of nowhere. <laughs> I don't even know why he's there, but he's got the right line at the right time. Wow. Bunch of dancing Caesars around your head, huh? That's, that, that, that came from out of nowhere. <laughs> But, but this is what, okay, so this is what, this is what blows my mind about, okay, Four Christmases, right? Like, among all the crazy ass songs, you know, that I got to wrap my brain around about some fucking gold digging bitch who just wants duplexes and shit in her stocking and and a a culmination of checks, you know, hand, handwritten, like who, how is Santa cutting checks, right? Okay. I mean, I think he's got his hands full, but, but so the premise, if you haven't seen Four Christmases, is now this is if you've lived with trauma. This is if you can live with trauma. You become somebody like uh, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon, who um, are an indelible couple. 
uh, who looked to be very happy and very dialed, very dialed with their careers, whatever they do. They seem to do well. They live in San Francisco, again, of all places, you know, in the city there. And um, they play, they, they, do, they do this role-playing stuff in the beginning of the movie where, you know, they, they are strangers to one another and then they take on these identities and then it ends at their house later that night and then they plan their Fiji. This, they, every Christmas they get away. They don't, you know, they, they make up a white lie to their families that they're going to go help uh, pygmy, pygmies, uh, you know, pygmy pygmies in um, Fiji build dams and uh, bridges and stuff like that or some, something to that effect, right? And, uh, but they get boxed in with, with fog, they get fogged in and they can't leave the Bay Area. And they're caught on camera by the local news because of, you know this all of a sudden like all the flights are canceled from the fog so so those ubiquitous news you know people on the scene are like tell us what you know where were you guys headed blah 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 well their family gets wind of this and both their parents are divorced so they each have a set of divorced parents who see this broadcast and now are i kind of like put them on the spot like hey well if you're not going to go away to feed the homeless pygmies and build bridges in fiji come by and so so they go to four different spots four christmases but it's all within the bay area so i'm call- so first and foremost i'm calling bullshit on this because Unless their flight was at 4 a.m. that day, which it didn't appear to be. How do you have the time to go to four Christmases, especially in the Bay Area? Because the traffic, as you know, is a nightmare. It's the worst. Uh, that, that, That epicenter of hell, the 580 interchange there that feeds into like... You know, the, the 880 or the 80 or the, you know, the 580 going into, you know, San Rafael over the San Rafael Bridge to pick up the 101 or the 101 through San Francisco where it becomes Van Ness or any of that shit is impossible. Um, so you so I'm supposed to expect that. So their first stop is uh, Vince Vaughn's dad's. And it looks as though they're in Novato. So they drive. So that, okay. So the first stop, if it's in Novato, that's the one of the northernmost towns in Marin County. So I can see that. You hop over the Golden Gate. You're on the 101. You go up through Sausalito. Novato is kind of like where, like when I lived in Marin County, like that's where they, they made fun of everybody in Novato because that's where the bumpkins supposedly live. That's where the Grateful Dead lived. Right, and uh, Nevada was where the hillbillies lived. So who do we who do we run to? The first stop is Robert Duvall and his, and, and and Vince Vaughn's two brothers, Dallas and Denver, because they're named after the towns they were conceived in. So Vince Vaughn, he goes by Brad, but his real name is Orlando, <laughs> and she doesn't know this. His his girlfriend Reese Witherspoon doesn't know this, but it's just it's just it's it's chaos. Um, it's classic bumpkin style. They they. You know they're kind of clowning on these 
I don't know. It's kind of a low-hanging fruit that they can kind of tease and clown on. And they didn't realize there's a $10 max gift, so Vince Vaughn's giving them Xboxes and shit like that. And then the kids are <laughs> accidentally find out there's no Santa and that they get a $10 flashlight from everyone else other than Vince Vaughn slash Orlando. So... <laughs> And his other two brothers are Tim McGraw and what's his name? John Favreau, who play these Neanderthal backyard fucking UFC fighter bare knuckle brawlers who like upload like backyard brawls on YouTube. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like, this is the real shit. Like if you live through trauma, this is real. This is legit. This is what you have to deal with during Christmas, right? You have to deal with all the funky weirdos of your family. But so that's just the first stop. So I can see that. I can see making it to Novato the first the first trip. The second trip though, it's a whole thing. It's now it's Reese Witherspoon's mom who has two horny sisters that are like they are thirsting after Vince Vaughn slash Orlando. When they finally meet. And I don't know where they live. They must live like in Tiburon or Belvedere. They must still be in Marin County. It has to be. Because the time the time lapse situation now. After wreaking havoc. Being roped into some kind of sad UFC bout. In the middle of Christmas. With his two brothers. Vince Vaughn tries to mount the satellite dish that he got. His dad, Robert Duvall. Oh, and by the way, classic actors in these. This movie has got, like, John Voight is Reese Witherspoon's father, who's out of his mind, literally. Uh, not in the movie, but literally. Like, I mean, he's John Voight. He's, he's cuckoo. And um, then you got Robert Duvall. These are all Academy Award winners and nominees. Then you got, uh, God, who else? Uh, another, who else was it? Um, uh, Carol Kane is um, one of Reese Witherspoon's mom, mom's sister, her, her aunt. Uh, just, just, you know, actors and, and personalities coming out of the woodworks in this movie, right? And so then, so but so the second trip though is Reese Witherspoon's mom and her horny sisters, thirsting all over Vince Vaughn, right? So they stay there for the afternoon, and then there's a whole bouncy house episode, and Reese Witherspoon gets uh, she takes an EPT test because now all all of a sudden she sees Vince Vaughn slash Orlando with a baby. His, uh, her sister's baby, who ends up throwing up on Reese Witherspoon. And then um, she has to go change her shirt, so she finds an EPT test. And then her little niece steals the EPT test and goes into the bouncy house. There's a whole episode of a bouncy house brawl. And then and then they have to go to a, a, a church session with... Um, Reese Witherspoon's mom's new boyfriend, who is, who's, uh, what's his name? Um, fucking, um, the guy, the country singer, um, 
from uh, fucking uh, <laughs> Dwight, Dwight Yoakam from <laughs> from from uh, <laughs> from uh, whatever he does, like Dwight Yoakam. All right, and so the, then they perform a whole recreation of the you know the manger scene live that Vince Vaughn plays Joseph and Reese Witherspoon plays Mary with a live baby, which I, I always recommend. Whenever I put a manger scene together, I always get a live baby. They're not that, and they're not that hard to come by. And uh, but after that whole fiasco, they go to uh, then they go. To uh, Vince Vaughn's mom's, who is Sissy Spacek, another Academy Award nominee, and I think when didn't she? She won, but she's been nominated several times. But fucking huge blockbuster actors and actresses, and she's dating his ex best friend. <laughs> it's so it's so funny. It's so funny. But they go out and they go out and they hang out. Like how much, like the time space continuum on this thing has got to be working like in some kind of weird, you know, Kurt Vonnegut Slaughterhouse Five type time warp situation because there's no way that they can make it through Bay Area traffic to cover all these stops and and install satellite dishes, have Christmas with each family, then do a bouncy house, then go to a live manger, as well as just a, 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 a regular, you know, church session with Dwight Yoakam, um, preaching, you know, with the whole choir in the background, then stage a recreation of the manger scene, then go visit Vince Vaughn slash Orlando's mom, Sissy Spacek, who now she lives in, she's got to be in Fairfax or Mill Valley, one or the other, because that's where the kind of the hippies kind of, ended up once they once they became real estate rich and and Marin County no longer became like a, bu- a like a blue collar haven for you know for like legit people um all the hippies kind of stayed put so now they're all hippie millionaires even though they don't have two dimes to rub together they've got their real their real estate rich so that's i guess what Susie or Sissy Spacek is and but she, the funny thing is she's dating Vince Vaughn's her son's ex-best friend. It's so funny. And he's like, oh, can I... Here, let me give you some gas money. He's like, <laughs> for driving out to like wherever they're at. Fair, it's got to be Fairfax. All the ex-hippies. All the wannabe hippies are all in Fairfax, right? In Marin County. All this has to be taken... It has to be taking place in Marin County. There's no way they can make all these places in this amount of time, in one day. It all takes place in one day. You follow what I'm saying? It's crazy. But as they get there... And, and they're play, and they have time to play a board game, some kind of humiliating like word game that gets all kind of like X-rated with Sissy Spacek and her boyfriend Vince Vaughn slash Orlando's ex-best friend, which is really funny and creepy. But he's like, here, let me give you gas money. He's like, no, no, I I make more th- I make more money than you. <laughs> and he's trying to be all like, you know, so how's the traffic out there? You know, he's talking like 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 he had uh, so fucking. It's spot on. It's good shit. But but that's the trauma you live through if you deal with trauma. And it's almost kind of it's it's morbidly entertaining, but I say that 
in a specific way. It's morbidly entertaining. You know, the hillbilly par- portion of your family, the 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 horny, weird kind of Tupperware party, you know, three horny sisters who are like sirens of some sort. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. It's kind of like, it's like a, an odyssey. It's like they're recreating like a modern day odyssey, like the, the, like, or the Iliad, like that, 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 um, that, um, Ulysses traveled, you know, where he had like the siren song of the three sisters that are tr- meant to like draw the ship in to crash against the rocks or, or the, you know, the, the one-eyed cyclops, um, the golden fleece, all that stuff, all these challenges. Maybe that's, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's a, an allegory for all that, but it probably isn't. It's just funny. But to recover that much territory in one day, to install a satellite dish, to have Christmas and exchange gifts, to do a bouncy house, to go to a, you know, a, a, a you know, a church, you know, performance with a choir and then do an actual theatrical performance where you play Jesus with a live baby and then go to see your mom who's dating your ex-best friend and play a board game? How? Do, how? 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 It's fucking insane. But it's still a good movie. I totally, totally recommend it. So, but it leads me to the, it leads me to the, you know, it leads me to the, this kind of epiphany or this end result of what the holidays really are. The holidays are really are just a survival test. You know, unless, unless you've been able to sequester yourself into a small room with chicken wiring somewhere, right? Where you don't have to deal with reality. Maybe you can climb to the bottom of a bottle somewhere. But if not, you got to deal with all this. You got to deal with, you know, over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. And then when you get there, it's just the oddest assortment of fucking freaks and weirdos that you've ever, you know, that you can't, you hate it all. You pretty much didn't communicate with all year and now you're forced to comply you're you're it's a it's a forced compliance that you're dealing with now so you got to suck it up because if you're not if you're not one of the top one percent that just kind of does whatever they want you know not to where you have to lie to get out of christmas but to like just go do something else go somewhere else like one like one year my lady and i just went to uh, the marriott and we had a christmas dinner there and we stayed there and out of the limelight out of the way of everybody and that was great and that was the best but if other than that if you're not the lead dog like i say the view's all the same you got to suck it up you got to deal with your relatives you got to deal with family you got to deal with people that you know you wouldn't walk across the street to spit on most of the year and now you're giving them a gift so there you have it so i hope you enjoyed that i hope you enjoyed that little that little run down somewhere. I feel like just taking a train somewhere myself. Just hopping on a train. I think about I don't know, maybe I'll I don't know. I got to go up to uh I got to go up to Humboldt next week. And uh I'm taking my youngest with me. And maybe we'll take the train. I don't know. Maybe we'll just stay up there. Maybe we'll just stay up there for the rest of the holidays. I don't know. But my youngest would kill me if she She's she's um she's definitely 
she definitely keeps me kind of, she's one of the ones that keeps me kind of on the straight and narrow, you know, I told her I was going to get like a, I was going to get some kind of like, um, arm tattoo with like all the kids faces poking out of like a submarine window or something. I don't, I can't remember what I said. She's like, no, (laughs) she kept me on, she kept me on an even keel, but, uh, but her morality will only last so long. And then I win. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. Oh, by the way, don't look now. Speaking of football, don't look now. But Tim Tebow is 35 years old. Father Christmas. He's 35 years old. And he's still looking for a team. So on that note, that's what's up. I'll talk at you later. And arrivederci, babies.